This podcast contains adult themes and depictions of violence and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advice. Welcome to the third episode of A History of Evil Men. And today we are focusing on a fiendish duo from my hometown of Perth in Western Australia. Ahenya, who are we talking about? We are talking about David and Catherine Burney, also known as the Moore House Murders. Yes. So we'll start with just a brief intro into their uh, exploits. In the early 1980s, they abducted, uh, raped and murdered four women. They were onto their fifth, but luckily a very intelligent young lady was able to escape and run for her life and get to safety. And with that, she was able to go to the police and bring an end to the Bernie's murderous exploits. So we'll just give you a little bit of history on the couple. Ahenia, would you like to talk about David? As many other serial killers and criminal criminals, the childhood of David John Bernie was very far from a good and happy childhood. He was born the 16th of February of 1951 in Watergrove at east of Perth, a rural or semi-rural area. Mm-hmm. That's right. So back in in the, I guess, the, the 50s and 60s when... That's what, well, when he lived in that area, it was largely still fairly undeveloped. So a lot of Australian bushland and uh, I think a bit of cattle, but nothing too, nothing too heavy. Um, it was fairly small plots of land and yeah, a lot of, a lot of families still live out that way in similar, uh, similar environs. Um so it's not it's not unusual at all to uh, for an Australian, particularly a Perth family, to to live in a semi-rural yet close to the city sort of uh, environment. It was a quite marginal family. We don't find much information about what the parents, uh, David Burney, parents did. He was the eldest of five children. His parents were John whom is described as a hunchback and that he suffered from stuttering quite severely. And his mother was named Margaret, was described by the, the people that knew the Bernies from that time as an alcoholic and extremely neglectful mother. So one of our sources is the documentary Beyond the Darklands that you can find in YouTube. Some of the childhood friends of David Burney that speak are Golda Newland and Jim Wells. I mean, one of the words used to describe David Burney's mother was slovenly and... Pathetic. Yes. And she was... The house was always filthy and uh, she would often leave the children... Uh, with uh, alone with the father or just would leave the children for periods of time and then would either hitchhike or was known to 
swap sexual favors for taxi for the taxi service that she'd get back out to uh, mm-hmm. out to the house. There is um, anecdote that is told by the Sunday. What is Sunday school? Sunday school, like the uh, the church. Yeah, uh, the church Sunday school, but mm-hmm. their teacher, whom is also in Beyond the Darklands, in which she says that uh, Margaret, in one occasion, she was traveling with one of her children. She doesn't say whether it was David Bernie or not. And it's described that the child is dirty, crying, and Margaret would give the child to another person. She would lit a cigarette and start reading a comic book. So the children would be constantly filthy. Uh, Golda Newland says that the fridge of their house was constantly open so the children could just take food out of that. And even the dogs, the, the pets that they had in their house. Anyhow, I feel that it's kind of annoying that the mother is point out as the neglectful of the parents since, well, they live with their dad Mm. also. So that means that they were both neglectful. Mm. Neither of them would clean the house or feed them properly. There were also rumors of incest. Well, Jim Wells, one of the childhood friends of David, he's very much sure that David would abuse at least one of his youngest. So the children were often taken by uh, social services Mm -hmm. through their childhood, and they were taken at some point to foster homes. So at 15 years old, David starts an apprenticeship in the Ascot race course. He's the people, the boys that would work with him would say that he was cruel to animals and he was also developing exhibitionist tendencies. Hmm. And at that age, he commits either um, either he tries or he actually gets to rape an elderly woman, the landlady of the place where he was living hmm. with the other with the other apprentices. That leads to him being fired from the apprenticeship. But I believe there were no criminal charges done on him on that time, Mm. which I find very curious. Meanwhile, Catherine, would Mm. you like to know, would would you like to say, Chris, what we know about Catherine? So Catherine Burney, before she changed her name by deed poll to match that of David, her... Maiden name was Harrison. So Catherine Harrison was born also on 1951. She was the same age as David, to be precise, born the 23rd of May of that year. Mm -hmm. Now, Catherine, at the age of two, lost her mother um, while she was giving birth to a young son. And... Harold, her father, uh, was unable to, uh, I guess, cope and process, so sent Catherine away to live with her maternal grandparents. 
and that was in South Africa, I in believe. In South Africa, exactly. And by the age of 10, their, her father had recovered and decided to bring Catherine back. So there was a custody dispute and uh, Harold was able to reunite with Catherine and bring her back to Perth. And by the age of 10, I believe, and mm -hmm. it's uh, 12 years old. Mm -hmm. I think with David was already in a foster home, living in a suburb yep. of Perth that they meet. That's right. I believe the suburb was Lathlane, which is quite central in Perth. And yeah, a, a inner city working class suburb. Uh, close to the uh, Ascot Racecourse, as well as not too far from in the central business district uh, of of Perth itself. Catherine never had the chance to have uh, strong bonds with people. First of all, by being sent with their grandparents, and we don't have much information of how was their relationship with her, but. She seemed to have a very isolated childhood, like other families wouldn't allow their children play with her. I am guessing that perhaps she came from a marginal family, working mm. class family. And in some sources, it says that her father was also abusive. The closest bond she had in her early teens, or her childhood because she was 12, was David Burning. By 14 years old, they were already in a sexual relationship. Seems that David was quite well-read and quite intelligent, and Catherine was enthralled by his knowledge of history and different cultures and just random facts. So she uh, fell quite deeply in love with him and... He being uh, an overly sexual young man uh, was more than happy to reciprocate the attention. I think we could say that she was in love with him. They developed a dependent relationship. In their early teens, they would start having their first uh, criminal record, uh, criminal history. I think it's in less than two years, when they are both 15 and 16, they were charged with approximately 76, almost 80 different crimes, such as car theft, burglary, home, burglary mm -hmm. safe theft, and even possession of explosives. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's quite a lot. Um, David was sent several times to either correctionals. The last occasion he was sent to jail, it was for almost three years. And Catherine, at that time, was pregnant. That's probably the reason why she wasn't sent to jail. And according to the sources, she was pregnant with another man's child. We, we haven't figured out how we got that information. Uh, I mean, why the sources that don't claim that that was uh, David's child. Mm. And, and after, yeah. Yeah, and, and we haven't seen any sources saying, well, I guess Catherine hasn't revealed who the father of... Is she even knew? 
if she even knew. But we don't know, so yeah, uh, anything we say at this point would be speculation. So, but this yeah. child, whom we assume was the first child of Catherine, was taken away by social services shortly after it was born, and it's at the at this time that um parole officer mm-hmm. while there David is in jail friendly suggested suggest Catherine that it would be a better idea if she would just stop hanging out with him and it's at this it's at this time in which Catherine uh, she declares she knew that she shouldn't hang around David but that she would do anything for him mm-hmm. and that's pretty much her position about their criminal life until almost the very end mm-hmm. so what happens with Catherine well after she spends about six months in correctional facility and has her first child taken away she is released and gets a job as a housekeeper for the McLaughlin family. A wealthy family. A well, fairly well-respected family. And sometime not too long later, she becomes pregnant to one of the McLaughlin sons. I believe it was the youngest son named Donald. Mm-hmm. And at 21 years old, she gets married to Donald. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, so I, I guess you could say it was a, a shotgun wedding and the family wanted her to have a respectable uh, relationship with their son. So, yeah, the, yeah, they got married. And over the course of years, she would give birth to seven of Donald's children with, unfortunately, their firstborn uh, Donnie. Donnie, mm-hmm. little Donnie, getting run over in uh, in their driveway and uh, passing at quite a young age. And Catherine was a witness of that. She literally saw her... Firstborn. Of that marriage. That marriage. Uh, being killed in front of her. So I guess it's safe to say that it was a very traumatic event in her life. Mm-hmm. So it seems like uh, she had a, a good marriage with Donald. I believe that at some point in the last years of the marriage, Donald became sick and she had to take care of him. That's right. He was a council worker and unfortunately sustained a fairly debilitating back injury. So he was laid off work and was convalescing at home. And Catherine, to support the family, was taking jobs as a cleaner and uh, unfortunately uh, had to downsize their house and ended up moving into government housing. She also Uh, had to take care of her elder father. So at some point she was taking care of six children, a husband and a father at the same time. Yep. And unfortunately, it's at this time the the, the kids themselves, uh, I guess, because they uh, didn't have any direct ongoing supervision. Um, with I think the with Donald being almost bedridden due to his injury, um, so the kids were 
described as running wild at the time, which I think uh, being put under these circumstances definitely saw Catherine having somewhat of a wedge driven between her and her formerly stable life as a married woman. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, what was David He got married to a woman named Carrie as well once he was released from prison. In an interview, Carrie describes that he actually proposed her marriage just a few days after meeting her. So within a month, they were married. And with her, he would have his daughter, Tanya. And according to Carrie, in the first years, because they were together for a decade, approximately, Mm. it was a fairly happy marriage. But then David suffered from a job injury. Uh, I mean, he got injured in his job and he actually had a head injury, which is something which is something that we see very often with many serial killers. I mean, he already had a history of violence, of attempted rape or or rape, Mm -hmm. precisely. And he would also cheat on his wife constantly. He would even post an advertisement, so to speak, in one... um, Personals... Uh, section of papers and and swingers magazines describing himself a local newspaper actually mm. uh, describing himself himself as a bored husband looking for fun but it was one day that David took things way too far so what did David do they had a nanny a 16 year old nanny that is described in some documentaries as his girlfriend, but clearly he was uh, an older guy. I don't think that the word girlfriend or lover is appropriate. I think it was just a poor teenager that he groomed. She took this girl to live with him. He actually moved his wife, Carrie, to his daughter's room, and he, well, had this teenager to sleep with him in their marriage bed. And that's when that was the last drop and Carrie left him. Seems mm. like he never got to see in person his child for a for a long time. Mm. According to Carrie, well, at the last years he was cheating and he was aggressive towards her. Although he didn't have any particular deviant sexual behavior. He had this constant uh, fantasy of having a threesome, which uh, his wife never capitulated with. But this is going to be an important fact. So meanwhile, Catherine, after giving birth to her seventh child, she had an hysterectomy. And one day when Donald, her husband, went to see her, he found David Bernie by the bed of Catherine holding her hand. And the acquaintances and the people that knew them actually speculate that they were having an affair for a few years before that. Anyhow, this is the first time that Donald sees David and shortly after, once she's 
released from hospital. She informs him that he's going to leave him for David and abandons her whole family to -hmm. live with David Bernie once again. And this is when the Morehouse era begins. Yeah. I think it's at this time that James, one of the youngest brothers of David, goes to live with them for a short period of time. James had his own criminal history. He was released from jail shortly before going to live with David and Catherine because he either sexually abused or he attempted to abuse a six-year-old niece. And in an interview, James would say that the child left or approached him like the child was the one who solicited him for for sex. For sex. Which we can see that the sexual perversion perversion of the Bernice runs beyond David. And it's at this time that uh, well in that same interview James would say that um David was into kinky sex mm-hmm. that he was a sex addict and an addict to pornography, that he would have sex with several other women apart from Catherine, that he would actually inject anesthesia in his penis so he would last longer having sex, and that in a few occasions he actually, because he didn't have any lover available, he actually suggested to have sex with James, his brother, his brother wasn't into incest. Perhaps this is the brother that he sexually abused when they were younger. And James went to sleep. And he declares in this interview that he woke up to David attempted to... To have sex with him while he was asleep. So he was, try- he was trying mm. to rape him. Mm. And for his 21st birthday, James' 21st birthday, David offer him a very curious birthday gift, so to speak. So what did David do? Well, David was concerned that James wasn't having sex enough. He was a virgin. He He says that he was a virgin. Mm. So to remedy this, he offered James Catherine. He offered him to have sex with his partner, like she was a gift, something that he would just, um, yeah, an object that he could dispose and he could choose what to do with her. Mm-hmm. So at this time, we mentioned this uh, interesting fantasy of having a threesome and David convinced Cathery as well to to compel to his fantasies. Seems like he actually told her that she would get aroused by seeing him have sex with another woman. And in one source, it, it's even more specific. It seems uh, it says that David told Catherine that she would achieve an incredible orgasm if she watched him penetrating another woman. Mm. And eventually, seems like they tried to find a, a third wield. Uh, voluntary, I mean, uh, a consensual uh, sex partner for them. But eventually they would 
giving to David's rape and violent mm. fantasies. During this time, David had a job in a wreckage yard in the suburb of Myrie, which was very, very close to their home, only five minutes drive away. Uh, they lived in the suburb of Willoughby. And during this time as well, David was still criminally active and would do several stints in jail for burglary and uh, other other offences. They, by all accounts, were decent neighbours. They were quiet and kept to themselves and also were known to smoke cannabis, take prescription drugs recreationally and... I think also heroin. And, yeah, and were known to use the old bit of heroin. So on October the 6th of 1986... Mary Nelson, a 22-year-old psychology student, got to meet David in this uh, car parts um, wreck. Yep, wreckers yard, I guess. Yeah. And he told her that he would get her a good deal for some tires mm -hmm. if she went to his house. Mm. This is how... Well, Mary Nelson indeed went to the Bernice house and while being there, she was bound gag, chained to a bed and repeatedly assaulted by David mm -hmm. while Catherine was watching and taking pictures mm -hmm. as well. David eventually strangles Mary Nelson and her body is taken to the Glen Hills National Park. Mm -hmm. near Albany Highway. Oh, no, sorry. She was actually taken alive to that place, raped again by David, strangled, and then buried in a shallow in, in grave. In a shallow grave, yes. So around two weeks later, they abducted their second victim, uh, a young well, a girl named Susanna Candy, who was only 15 at the time, mm -hmm. was hitchhiking uh, along the Stirling Highway in Claremont, which is, and still is today, a fairly upmarket, uh, more prestigious suburb. Um, and she was able to... Uh, the reason she mainly is thought to have entered the car with uh, David and Catherine was because Catherine was there and did some of the... Catherine was... I mean, people would trust the couple because because it was a couple. They It wasn't just David Bernie alone creeping out young girls. Mm. It was Catherine the one that would gain the trust. And shortly after Susanna got into the car, she had a knife. On her throat and he was tied from wrist and feet. Mm. She undergo the same ordeal as the first girl, Mary. They would all go the, um, the sequence is the same for all of them. They are taken to the Bernice house, chained to a bed, assaulted by David and Catherine would witness the whole act. Mm -hmm. So it was also during this time that they started to 
come up with ways of allowing the girls to disappear, to vanish off mm-hmm. the radar yeah. with... Without suspicion. Without suspicion, or at least to uh, get the police to not investigate as heavily as they would with a, a just a regular missing person. And in this respect, they uh, got... David got Susanna to write a letter to her parents saying that she was fine and that she just wanted to get away and had to sort some of her personal problems out and that she would she would be in contact with them again soon. I believe there were two letters with two different dates, which they were later on delivered mm-hmm. by the Bernice. And in this case... David attempts to strangulate Susanna. She fights back, so they force a couple of sleeping pills to her. And when she's unconscious, David takes a nylon cord, gives it to Catherine, and tells her to prove her love for him by killing Susanna, which she complies. Mm-hmm. Later on, Catherine would say, when she was asked why she murdered Susanna, she said, quote, Because I wanted to see how strong I was within my inner self. I didn't feel a thing. It was like I expected. I was prepared to follow him to the end of the earth and do anything to see that his desires were satisfied. She was a female. Females hurt and destroy males. End of quote. So we can see once again how devoted, quote-unquote, or how dependent was Catherine to David. Mm. And what a lack of empathy she too had for their victims. So on November the 1st of that same year, on a Saturday, Nolene Patterson was driving home from work when her car ran out of petrol. Unfortunately for her, the Bernice saw her and picked her up. But this victim is a bit different from the other ones because they knew her. Mm. She was 31 years old and a few days before, or no, a few weeks before, the Bernice helped her to change the wall. The wallpaper and did a bit of painting and renovation work. So um, she knew them, mm. actually. But what happened with Nolene? Well, this one obviously was a little different because the couple, and particularly David, already knew her. And uh, Nolene was quite successful and uh, was, by all accounts, considered to be quite attractive. She was a flight attendant with the Ansett Airlines, which are unfortunately now defunct, and was also working as a waitress and barmaid at the Netherlands Yacht Club, um, which was quite, yeah, quite prestigious. And, um, oh, sorry, Netherlands Golf Club, which is in a, in a very upmarket uh, end, uh, suburb of Perth, not far from Claremont, where Susanna... Uh, Candy was abducted. Nalene was kept for three days uh, because David would keep, uh, uh, how do you say, like, mm, mm. 
because David didn't want to kill her immediately uh, because he had developed some sort of particular attachment to her because, nah, whatever reason. Yeah, he had some particular attachment to her and Catherine became extremely jealous of this woman, perhaps also because she was successful. But anyhow, Catherine eventually gives David an ultimatum. She picks a knife, put it in her own throat, and allegedly told David, choose, it's either me or her. And David complied. He chose Catherine. So he gave sleeping pills to Nolene, and when she was unconscious, was strangled. Mm -hmm. And later on, she was buried in a different place. Uh, it wasn't the Glenslade uh, Park. She was... Yeah, it was Glen. Oh, I thought it was like the Pine Place. Uh, drive your body to with the, join the others at Glen Eagle Forest. Oh, okay. So, uh, Nolene was taken down to uh, Glen Eagle Forest as well and was put in the same area, buried in also buried in a shallow grave. What did Catherine do as a final send-off? She picked some dirt and threw it in Nolene's face. As she was being buried. She would later on say that she felt great pleasure by doing this. Mm. It's only three days later, November the 4th, that part-time computer operator and babysitter Denise Brown was also picked up in the Sterling Highway mm. by the Bernies. She was a 20-year-old and accepted a lift from them and the same way as the other girls, as soon as she was in the car, she got a knife in her throat, was bounded and take, taken to the Bernies house. house. And we know what happened there. Yes. She was later on, she was taken to the Kangara Pine Plantation where... Which is in the north of mm -hmm. Perth, as compared to the Glen, uh, Glen Eagle Reserve. Park Reserve. Park, uh, where the other girls were buried. And, however, this one went a little differently. Very brutally indeed. She was, well, once she was taken there, she was alive. She was sexually assaulted by David once again. And she got strangled. No, no, no. She got stabbed. Stabbed. Believing that she was already dead, the Bernies were burying her, and she stand up in, her, in the grave, surprisingly. So David first hit her with a shovel and eventually strike her, stroke her. How do you mm. say? Uh, well, bludgeoned her, I guess you bludgeoned could say. Bludgeoned her with a axe and actually split the head in two. And this is when Catherine says that she got a bit squeamish about the crimes just because of the brutality that they had to use to murder this woman. But shortly after, they would kidnap uh, their last victim only. on November the 9th, the only victim that escaped, the 17-year-old Kate Moir, who was hitchhiking along the Sterling Highway after a Sunday night with her friends. It's not uncommon for um, 
people to go on uh, what it's known as the Sunday session. So up and down uh, the Stirling Highway are a number of pubs and hotels and and bars that uh, you would meet up with friends, have a few beers, maybe have a few too many beers, um, just to send off the weekend. And you know, particularly uh, with young people and get home and get ready for work on Monday morning. So this this is a very long-standing tradition in Perth and still continues to this day. The Sunday session uh, is really a, a part of a part of life in in Perth. Um, so for Kate to be hitchhiking down Stelling Highway on a on a Sunday evening, um, a few sheets to the wind, as you'd say, is is not unusual or or would not be out of place. Um, she would actually said in um, an episode of a a true crime series of Australia, which we're going to add the link to well, to this episode, so you can all see it. She would say that she was almost picked up by a different car, but she saw that it was a car with only men, I think four or five men, mm. and she didn't feel safe by getting in a car with only men. And then she saw this couple, the Bernies, and felt a bit more safe mm. when she saw them. When she got into the car, she got a knife in her throat. And she would say, she would ask, are you going to rape me or kill me? And David Bernie replied, We'll only rape you if you're good. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. She was taken to the Bernie's house. They made her dance to a dire straight song, Romeo and Juliet, for two hours. She says that she was crying during the whole ordeal. They then watched the movie Rocky, and eventually she was chained to a bed and sexually assaulted. She noticed that Catherine was taking notes while the, the rape was taking place, and she would later on ask her what was she doing, and Catherine replied that she was taking notes to know what things um, aroused more David so she could she could later later improve the couple's sex life. It was also later that night that Kate was provided with a pen and paper and asked to write uh, letters excusing herself and saying goodbye to her family uh, to essentially provide another alibi mm-hmm. for the Bernies or more to the point to recluse herself of any police investigations so they could essentially clock it up as uh, another runaway uh, being dissatisfied with with their life and and moving on which at the time police and I think would completely dismiss those cases and it's something that still happens mm-hmm. nowadays police would be like oh it's just a teenager maybe she ran away even though their families would say otherwise, mm-hmm. precisely. And that's it. Um, still, a lot of police procedure is you have to wait 
several days before you can officially report someone missing, especially if there's a, uh, a a note or a phone call, as unusual as it would seem and out of character. Although I think with uh, the profiling and, and modern uh, contemporary knowledge of and focus on vulnerable people, um, those those uh, procedures are changing now where you can yeah, you can report them out of yeah. character even you know an out of character disappearance even if uh, yeah you don't have to follow way. that silly procedure of waiting 24 hours of a missing person because within that a person can be assaulted and murdered mm. and in less the, than 24 hours and by then the trail unfortunately will get cold yeah so uh the next morning of being kidnapped um, David would go to his work he would carry on his regular schedule and his regular life while they had this teenager chained to a bed and at some point the drug dealer of the Bernice knocks on their door Catherine was there mm-hmm. taking care quote unquote of their victim and she goes and answers the door Kate somehow got loose of her chains. She was, uh, well, attached to the bed and she escaped through a window. But before leaving, and she was one very exceptional girl, we have to say, she hid a couple of evidence of her kidnapping in the house. She hid a cigarette box. The Bernice had also given her some sleeping pills the mm-hmm. night before, but she didn't take them. She hid them under and, her tongue. And then stashed them under the mattress of the bed. And I think she also had a, a lipstick case or a lipstick container yeah. that she hid in the lounge room down the back of the couch. And also a drawing or a her phone f- number. Her phone number. Her phone number. And hid it, written on a small piece of paper and hidden in the house as well, just to prove a, an evidence chain for the police to prove that she wasn't lying and that she could provide specific mm-hmm. details of the house and where she had hidden. She uh, also knew mm-hmm. David's real name because she saw the name on the bottle of the prescription drugs because the Baroness would give a fake name David would say that his name was John, which is funny because that was <laughs> his father's name. And Catherine would say that she was Margaret, which was her middle name and was also David Bernie's uh, mother's name. Mm. So Kate escaped through a window. She knocked on four houses before getting to a shop, a vacuum cleaning shop. And she would later describe herself as, quote, Hysterical. I'm barefoot, wearing my black leggings, a black singlet, and no knickers. Mm. And she told, uh, well, to the clerk or the employee that was in the shop that she was raped. Mm-hmm. And if a woman came to pick her and said uh, or claimed to be her mother, that that was a lie, that that woman had kidnapped her. Mm-hmm. So she's taken to the police and... Not not surprisingly, after 
telling her horrible ordeal, the police didn't believe her initially. They were actually going to press charges against her for a fake assault. And it was only one police, uh, a new policewoman called Laura Hancock, the one that pushed the detectives to investigate, actually. Kate Wood also said that the Bernice made her write a, a couple of letters to send to her family, claiming that, well, she had escaped like they did with the other victims. And it's at this point that some of the detectives actually start linking her case to the other ones, because mm. at this point they weren't doing any sort of investigation uh, on the other disappearances. I mean, the Bernies had given them enough doubt with the letters and phone calls to the family to provide enough of a smokescreen. And because to... the police sucks. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, though, the prejudice of, oh, a woman disappears, oh, she escaped, she was a teenager, or, well, some of the victims weren't even teenagers. Well, they were in well and truly into their, thir- you know, 30s. and uh... Professional women mm. with jobs and this mm. and that. So it doesn't even fit to this idea of uh, teenagers just mm. escaping. And on that same day, the police actually goes to the Bernice house. Mm-hmm. David was still working. So they took Catherine. Mm-hmm. And eventually they, uh, David either went back to his house or I think the police went to pick him up. As yeah, they found he was at his workplace mm-hmm. in Myrie and they picked him up there. Once at the police station, they were interrogated about Kate's story and they would give uh, contradictory stories. Catherine denied knowing Kate while David actually said that they picked her up at the night, but he claimed that he had perfectly normal consensual sex with the teenager. And that she had wanted to come back and smoke marijuana, smoke marijuana with them, and that everything was consensual and... Hours would pass and the Bernice wouldn't say a thing, wouldn't, uh, well, confess to their crimes. And it's eventually when the detective Vince Cottage said to Debbie Bernie, and the detective says like he was halfway through, um, he was partially being serious and partially telling him as a joke, quote, it's getting dark. Why don't you just show me where the bodies are so we can dig them up? And surprisingly, Debbie Bernie replied calmly, okay, there is four of them. And once the police told Catherine that David actually confessed to several murders, not only the abducting of Kate, that Catherine started talking in a very matter-of-fact um, manner. It's the next day in which the Bernice took the police, or the police took the Bernice to the burials mm-hmm. of their different victims. And Vince Cottage also would say that Neither David or Catherine showed any emotion until Catherine showed them the grave, well, quote-unquote, grave of Nolene Patterson, the victim, like, that she felt particularly jealous of. Hmm. And Katish says that at this point, Catherine spat on Nolene's grave. So they were charged with four counts of murder 
and one count of kidnapping and rape Kate Moore. There is some archive um, video in which the Bernies are taken in custody. There is a mob outside insulting them and screaming at them. And Catherine doesn't show any emotion once again. And David actually blows a kiss to the mob. When they were both in jail, they were taken to separate jails. Mm. It says that they both took some beatings from their inmates. Their fellow inmates, so this is how bad everybody felt about the Bernies. During that time in jail, they would exchange letters for several years. I think there were over 2,000 letters, but within a few years, Catherine would just simply stop answering David's letter, surprisingly. She would later on say that she didn't felt like she did uh, like she didn't feel like he need she needed him <laughs> sorry i have an issue with pronouns and she would exchange letters with eileen Werners and with the female serial killer as well myra hindley whom was part of the moore's murders mm-hmm. in great britain another killer couple that had pretty much the same profile as the bernice they were a couple that would abduct and rape and murder children. Mm-hmm. I feel it's very curious that she actually was exchanging letters. I couldn't find much information about that, so I don't really know if uh, Eileen Wuornos was answering the letters. But I think it's very curious because Eileen Wuornos would said uh, would call herself a bounty hunter of rapists. So I don't really know how mm-hmm. much sympathy she would feel toward Catherine. Mm-hmm. That was abducting and helping her partner murder murder women murder Mm. women so yeah very much curious Mm. um david bernie would hang himself the 7th of october of 2005 there are two reasons why uh, it says that he committed suicide first off uh, he wasn't receiving some um, psychiatric medication he was supposed to be taken, allegedly because of depression. But also, on that same day, he was going to go on trial for the rape of an inmate. So, there you go, David. Mm-hmm. And Catherine is still very much alive. She's still in jail because they were they got four life sentences and she works, so to speak, as a librarian in the prison. Now, there is a thing, according to the Australian law, in which after 20 years of being incarcerated, Mm -hmm. an inmate is going to be automatically... How do you say when they start considering for a parole? They have parole hearings. Um, So they're eligible for parole. And after rejections, which... Uh, I believe her last one would have been 2019. Yep. So she will be up for another parole hearing with the potential of limited release next year. And there was a campaign to modify this law that was very much led by Kate Moore. Mm. She certainly doesn't want Catherine Burney to get out of jail 
and she was also supported by Tanya, David Bernice, only child. She claims in an interview that um, that she had actually a good childhood, like uh, apart from the fact of her father uh, being um, David Bernie, being David Bernie, being well having mm. affairs and this and that, that he was a kind father, but that she figured out that was just a mask he performed to simulate normality. And uh, she's now forty years old, and she claims that. She never had any serious relationship. Mm. She never had children. And she doesn't want to have children because on on one side, she's afraid she would ever encounter a man like her father. And the other side is she is worried that she will pass on some sort of genetic trait that her father has and that she will birth another serial killer the likes of her father into the world which she states she could not live with so she has essentially chosen to remove the bernie genetics from the face of the earth and she claims that uh, also her and the children of catherine and their victims are living in a sort of life sentence which they will never be released, the trauma. So her position is, then why should we give freedom to Catherine Bernie? Mm. And also James, uh, one of Catherine Bernie's son, also called for his mother execution. And he claims that he's been uh, attacked and beaten because of his relationship with his mother. The Bernie's never showed... Uh, show little to no remorse for their crimes. In his trial, David Bernie would point, they declared to be uh, guilty, mm-hmm. both of them. And when David Bernie was asked why uh, he pleaded guilty, in the trial he would point at his victims, families, and he would say, this is the le- least thing I can do for them. Which I'm sure this mm. is David Bernie being pretty much a fucking manipulative piece of crash. Mm. And in a letter that Catherine Bernie sent to her children, she says that um, she did everything for love. She tells her children that they should be careful for the people they partner. And at the end, she says... She encouraged them to cut all contact with her and says, quote, I don't deserve to have children because of what I did to the children of other people. Well, uh, that, that's pretty much the idea. So mm. I guess we could say that she shows some sort of remorse. Probably we have to consider that um, she wasn't with David in jail, uh, mm. so she kind of uh, lose perhaps her attachment to him. Which isn't uncommon, for, I think, from what we've seen with dependent couples mm-hmm. who go on murder sprees. That once once that once that intimate interpersonal bond is broken, they do tend to well the the dependent partner tends to drift apart and uh, you know you could say 
come undone from the spell of of the of the relationship of the dependency and and then rediscover their own or develop their own personality again and stop being under the the influence of of the dominant partner precisely in the documentary beyond the darklands uh, the doctor the clinical psychologist leah garriatano does a small profiling she doesn't do the profiling of catherine but more like the one of david she focusing she's focusing on him and she would say that he's both a narcissist and antisocial which there are two personality disorders they share a couple of characteristics they are actually comorbid so a person diagnosed with one of those disorders can also have the other one and uh, well i'm not going to start doing the profile right now because we talk a lot but the things that uh, they both disorders have it's a tendency to manipulation a lack of remorse and a lack of empathy. And while being uh, in the trial, a clinical psychologist would say that Catherine Burney is or was the worst case of the dependent uh, personality he had ever seen. So those are the facts. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on them, Chris? Well, back in the 80s in Australia, as with a lot of countries, we well, as, as we saw in the USA, with young people uh, hitchhiking and readily receiving lifts from, uh, from strangers. Um, it, whereas now, obviously, uh, there's been a very heavy campaign, some would, you know, in some cases, scare campaign into stranger danger and never receiving lifts from strangers and that sort of thing. But back at the time, Australia was still very... And it's, it's, Australia still is a very friendly place. And it, it is, even today, not uncommon for someone who you've only just met to offer you a lift. And obviously, depending on your quick assessment and possibly also how much you've had to drink and bond with the person beforehand, it's not unusual to jump in a car with someone you've just met for them to give you a lift somewhere. And that's just a normal part of life. But particularly back in the 80s, I think it was a lot more, was a lot more, some would say, naive or possibly innocent. Uh, Not to say that terrible things didn't happen back then. They clearly did. And a lot of the time were just glossed over or dismissed but that being said it clearly wasn't uncommon to especially for young women to jump in a car with with someone provided they felt that it was safe whereas nowadays that the chances of that happening are pretty much zero to none in in i feel in australia um particularly in perth and particularly around that stretch of Stirling Highway, which has seen many, many, many uh, unfortunate disappearances and murders. Uh, in in the recent decades, we saw the Claremont serial killer, mm-hmm. who also acted in that same area and uh, abducted and murdered several women. But that's a story for another time. Um, and we don't have to forget that they were a couple. 
mm. women would feel, I reckon, safer by seeing another woman in the car. And that was pretty much the technique they would use. That's According it. to what Kate Moore says, she heard Catherine Burney saying to David, I've got the manches. And David would answer, I've got the manches too. Which was like their secret code. Their code word for... Kidnapping women. Mm-hmm. And they... it was Catherine the one that was actually choosing the victims. Mm. So by knowing a little bit of the psychological profile, I think it's safe to say that David was the dominant. After mm-hmm. all, they were chasing around satisfying his violent rape fantasies. Mm. They weren't looking for uh, a consensual partner mm. to his desires. He was a sexual sadist. That mm. means that he would get aroused by um, the torturing and the suffering of their victims. And thinking about um, how Catherine grew up, I mean, she knew. Mm. I think the first thing to say, uh, for what we know, they knew what they were doing. She knew what she was doing. But being a dependent, uh, which dependent personality mm-hmm. is also a personality disorder. I mean, she wasn't 100% diagnosed with that, but uh, for what I researched, a dependent person is basically afraid of taking care of themselves. Mm. They have an extreme bond with another person and they would also comply or engage in actions that are Abhorrent. are not pleasant. Yes. <laughs> are not pleasant just to keep the company of another person. So I guess we could say that they were literally the worst people that could bond and one thinking that David was uh, antisocial and narcissist and mm. was a manipulative man. They were literally a match made in hell. Well, they also met when they were extremely young and Catherine had uh, little chances to have healthy bonds. Mm-hmm. It says that she had also an abusive relationship with her father. So mm. I think it's important to think that perhaps she didn't know better. Clearly, they both had dysfunctional childhoods. Very much dysfunctional. And that in itself would lead them to perhaps see themselves as kindred spirits or at least bond over being dysfunctional. Yeah, and they first engaged in their criminal life when they were teenagers. That's uh, pretty much was David. They mm. one again, the brain in all these actions... Perhaps also Catherine was maybe fueled by uh, mm. that tendency or kind of stereotypes um, among the adolescents of uh, seeking for being sensations, seeking and well, uh, having a criminal life, mm. such prolific because they committed a, a, lot, of- a lot of crimes when they were just teenagers. Mm. And we have also taking consideration that uh, Catherine never had any sort of counseling. There was all, there was only this, um, well, it seems like Harold, her father, uh, realized that David wasn't a good match for her, but uh, 
perhaps being a teenager and having David being so manipulative from an early age. And by all accounts, quite sociable and charming. Yeah, he got some superficial charm, which is Mm. a characteristic of uh, antisocial disorder also. But her father trying to get her apart from him was more something like fuel their relationship. Mm. There was only this parole officer that kindly suggested her that she had a better life without him, but we know that getting over an abusive pend and relationship trauma bonding, which is what mm. happens when people are in abusive relationships, mm-hmm. it takes much more than just having a nice person telling you to split from your toxic and abusive partner. Mm. Um. For anyone who is also interested in watching a absolutely brilliant dramatization of the uh, Bernie's saga, much in the vein of Peter Jackson's Heavenly Creatures, mm. uh, there's a movie that was made by a Perth director by the name of Ben Young, who and also written by him, uh, called Hounds of Love, which is quite brilliant and was uh, a stud, a number of well-known Australian actors such as Stephen Curry and Emma Booth and Ashley Cummings. And if you ever get the chance to watch it, I strongly recommend it. It's a harrowing and... Very well acted and... Pretty much inspired in their last victim, mm-hmm. Caden Moore. And the set design and clothing design is absolutely spot on for eighties, early 80s Perth. And you will get a very good sense of what the suburb of Willoughby looked like. And what the, uh, the very, very working-class, aspiring neighbourhood looked like. Um, You got a bit nostalgic by watching the movie. I'm super nostalgic. I I lived in that area. My university was was right next door. At the time, it was still mainly bushland, but uh, the university was there at the time. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, a slice of Perth that's still still there and... uh, yeah, it was shot on location in in areas of Perth as well. So, mm. shout out to my hometown and all the good folk in Perth. <laughs> uh, except for the Bernies. Except for the clearly. Bernies, yeah. Did you know that actually when they were taking Denise Brown, who was unconscious, mm-hmm. to her burial place, they attempted to pick up a 19-year-old? It was shortly oh. after they were arrested that this... Mm. Uh, this teenager went to the police and actually told them that she saw the couple. Mm. And she felt something sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> that she, it was there was something suspicious about them. And that she saw a person sleeping in the back side of the car. Mm. A short-haired person that she thought it was a um, young boy. Well, that was actually Denise Brown. No. I mean, it's interesting as well because... Australians love a story and in many, uh, in the course of my childhood, uh, 
growing up, we, you know, would the era of Stranger Danger in the 80s, um, every second person seemed to have a, a a story or, a you know, a close encounter, allegedly, with the Bernies. I'm sure many of them were probably exaggerated or, you know, could have, you know, they saw a uh, a similar car drive through their town. I mean, even me growing up in the wheat belt of West Australia, we had uh, several people say that they were checked out by someone, you know, the Bernies or the Bernies stopped and had a pie at our local roadhouse or something or other, whether that was even remotely true or not. I don't know, but, you know, you never know. Um, but, you know, everyone's everyone loves their five minutes of fame and attachment to attachment to a a, a scandal or a they know. really went on a spree all of this absolute happened. rampage absolute rampage within a couple two of weeks. months yeah no less than less two than months it, it was really a, a spree yeah that's it so a little warning to any of our listeners if your partner tells you that you must prove their love by murdering and kidnapping people Perhaps it is time to get counselling and get the fuck away from that human. Also, if they make you dance to Die Straits, Romeo and Juliet for two hours, it's probably time to get out of there. And if they're watching Rocky. You know that Kane Moore also told the police that Mm. they were watching the movie Rocky, so it was another little Little bit of evidence. I think it was still in the VCR player, but there you go. So, where can our listeners find us? They can find us in social media on Facebook, on Spotify, on YouTube, on Instagram. And we also have a Patreon. Yes. Patreon.com slash A History of Evil Men. And we also have a Facebook group, apart mm-hmm. from the page, when we're going to be uploading all our sources. Mm-hmm. If someone feels like uh, doing a bit of research as well, or you feel like, yeah, writing something or sharing adding, something. Contributing, adding other interviews or sources, please do. Or suggested crimes for our next episodes, although mm-hmm. we have like a big list mm-hmm. of our next, um, next. bedtime story. <laughs> yep. So thanks again for listening. And we will join you next time when you we bring you some more of the history of evil men. Thanks for listening. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>